Good morning, everyone. Right, well, welcome. Great to see you all. Thank you so much for, for coming along. I've been really excited about the opportunity I have today to speak to you. And uh, funnily enough, the day that I got the invitation to speak, I felt God spoke to me that morning in my time uh, reading the Bible about something that he wanted me to share with you. And uh, it's really been a kind of in my heart ever since. And I really wanted to encourage you with some personal testimony, uh, some examples of how God has helped me. And I think sometimes stories are easier to latch on to than just principles. So I'm going to be telling you a few stories this morning. And I want to do my best to help you because I know how tough it is uh, just to be a Christian generally. But I think also to be a Christian when you're a teenager is one of the hardest times to be a Christian. Uh, usually, by the time you've got to the grand old age of 37 like me, um, you, you know, people at work don't kind of point and laugh because you're supposed to be adults now. You're supposed to you know, behave nicely. People are nice. But when you're a teenager at school, uh, people might not have learned those lessons yet. And so actually, I think sometimes it's harder to be a Christian in your situation than it is in mine in various ways. Now, obviously, we all face different battles in different ways. But certainly, the battle you are in as believers in your younger years is a very real battle. And I want to do the best I can today, with God's help, to put some stuff in your heart that will help you to keep on fighting when it's very difficult. It's going to be a little bit difficult this morning because of the noise. So we'll do our best to press past that. Can you all hear me okay at the back? Yes. Well done. Okay. Well, I'll try and be as loud as I can and as clear as possible. I'm just going to pray and then we'll get started. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for the privilege it is to be together. The privilege it is to serve these fantastic guys and girls. Lord, we thank you so much that we have got such a hope because of what Jesus has done. Thank you. We've got a firm rock we can stand on in the midst of all kinds of conflict and challenge and difficulty. Thank you, Lord, that because of you, we can face a future totally unafraid. We can be bold. We can be courageous. We can be confident. We can be peaceful, joyful, and happy because you are with us. You are our God. You are a God who has never lied, never will. You are totally faithful in all your ways. And I thank you. You want to bless us this morning. You want to pour good things into our hearts. You want to do us good with all your heart and soul. Thank you. That's what it says in your word. Your desire is to do us good with all your heart and soul. So we invite you to do exactly that this morning. Father, again, I just ask you, would you please give us your spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you more. And Holy Spirit, we do welcome you here. You are so welcome, Spirit of God. We love you so much. You're so wonderful. And I pray you would open eyes here this morning. I pray you'd help us to hear you. I pray you'd help us amidst the distractions of noise and stuff to really hear your voice clearly. I pray for your help in speaking in a manner that would serve these guys well. And I pray you'd speak to each one of their hearts and do them real massive good. I pray that Jesus would be seen here this morning in beauty and glory, all that you are. Lord, we love you. Have your way with us this morning, we pray. Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, I know life can be very challenging as a Christian. Normally, New Day will tend to be one of the kind of high points in your year as a Christian. It's one of those points when it's a bit easier to be a Christian. You might wear your Christian t-shirt and feel kind of like, I don't think I'm going to get anything thrown at me as a result of wearing that this week. Or You know what I mean? It's just kind of easier place to be a Christian. And you can really experience God and worship and hear good teaching and have your soul built up. 
And, uh, and, you know, it can really do you good. I used to be a youth worker. Believe it or not, I used to be a, a youth myself. And, um, you know, I've, I've seen what it is when you take a bunch of teenagers to, to New Day and they get blessed up and they get encouraged. It's fantastic. But the reality is that when we're back in the grind of daily living, it's tough. Yeah? Life is not easy. Being a Christian has got high points and low points. It's got difficult times. It's got times when you wonder if you believe any of it at all. It's got times when you might think, am I even a Christian? It's got times when you think, I'm not sure if I'm persuaded of any of this. I'm just kind of going to struggle on. And I've tasted that an awful lot. And I want to be talking about that a bit myself. But there are times when as a Christian, you can think, I don't know if I believe there's a God. I don't know if he loves me. I don't know if I'm his. You can go through all kinds of valleys of difficulty and doubts and real uncertainty, which can be so anxiety-producing. I remember a time when I was on an aeroplane years ago, and I'd been kind of, I'd had an encounter with God, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute, and my life had really turned, but I still had so much uncertainty, and I remember writing in my journal why can't I just know in big capital letters? And I was writing, ah, massive capital letters in this journal. The person on the seat next to me must have been like, strange chap. He's like getting very angry with his little book. And I was like, God, why, why do I still feel so uncertain? And it's, it's a horrible thing. But sometimes God lets you go through those very bleak moments for a real purpose so you can look back and see where God's taken you from. One of the biggest questions we struggle with as Christians is, why did God let that happen? If he loves me, why did he let that happen? Why did he let him do that? Them do that? Her do that? Why did he let my heart break? Why did he let me suffer such pain? Well, I tell you what, God can bless you more sometimes in those things than in letting you coast through life without any trouble. Because it's the people who coast through life without trouble who never turn to God and look to him for help. Never discover the love of God often. Actually, it can be the harder moments that turn you to God. They can be the moments you actually end up thanking God for the most. You let me go through that so I could discover that there is something else. You know, Matt Redman, many of you will know Matt Redman, whose songs a lot of us uh, will be familiar with. We sing worship songs. I wonder if you know, Matt Redman, he's very open about this, was abused in his childhood. Terribly abused. He went through all kinds of real horrors as a child, the kind of things that a child should never experience, the kind of things that as a father, I just, it makes you feel desperate for your young, for, you know, my little girl Lucy, my son Samuel. If the kind of things that happened to Matt Redman happened to them, I would be absolutely heartbroken. But you know what? That's why partly he has become a now world famous worship leader because he discovered that there is a God who's better than the people who abused him, who he should have been able to trust. When you've been abused by people you should be able to trust, it can be totally unsettling to your everyday existence, totally unsettling to your heart. And so it's in moments like that when you can begin to discover there is a God who will never abuse you. There is a God who will never fail you. He'll never lie to you. He'll never stop loving you. And actually going through some of those real painful, bleak, horrible moments can be God's greatest gift to you because those are the moments when you realize, okay, I can't trust in this life. I have to find something else to trust in. My wife and I and a few friends, we're going to start a new church venue in Richmond in a few weeks' time. I'm a full-time school teacher. Don't hate me for it. I try and be nice to everyone. Don't give out detentions very often. Never mind. Right. And uh, 
Are we going to start a new church? I mean, I'm going to have a full-time job and start leading a church. Seems a bit crazy. We're going to go into this place called Richmond, and Richmond, surprisingly, is full of rich people. Richmond is one of the richest places in the country. And I tell you what, those people, you think, oh, lucky them. They've got nice big houses, nice flashy cars, nice kind of liposuction and what have you. They've got everything going for them. I tell you what, sometimes it's the people whose lives are easiest that are most closed to the idea of a God that could save them. And Jesus says it's a curse when actually your life is full of ease. Because you just don't discover God, okay? So the good news so far is that actually the fact that we're going to go back from New Day into tough lives is a perfect opportunity for us to discover a God who won't let us down in the midst of all of the difficulties that are so hard for us. But that's what Christian living is like. It is up and down. It is tough. It's not easy. All right? So what I want to try and help you with today is some ways. How do we endure? How do we get through? How do we come through the difficulties, the bumps in the journey, the heartbreaks in the journey? How do we manage to keep going in our Christian life? And the way I'm going to do that is point to some ways it's done in the Bible. In the book of Hebrews, and you don't need to look it up, I'm just going to refer to a few verses here and there. The book of Hebrews is basically written to a bunch of people who are suffering, all right? So they were Jewish Christians, essentially, in the first century, and they had to become Christians. They had to turn their back on their family background. They would have, most of them, been kicked out of their families. They would have lost their inheritance, They would have lost so much to say, I follow Jesus, because to follow Jesus was very unpopular, very controversial. You shouldn't follow Jesus. So in turning to Jesus, they were turning away from lots of privilege. And as they were going through the beginnings, they were like, yeah, it's fantastic. Jesus is wonderful. Woohoo. And it's like new day. You know, everything's great. And then they start to hit more and more pain and more and more difficulty. And they're tempted to turn back. I think maybe I should just go back home. Maybe I should just say, look, I'm sorry I followed Jesus. Really, I'll come back home. And so the writer writes to them to say, don't give up on Jesus. And he shows them the way he does it. He doesn't just say, you know, you should have faith. And faith is like this. It's good. It's, you know. What he does is he tells them a bunch of stories. He says, don't forget that there were other people who could have turned back, but they decided not to. They decided to believe God. People like Moses, who when Moses was born, was brought up in the palace of Egypt with all of the wealth of Egypt at his disposal. Do you realize that? Egypt at the time was the world's greatest superpower, and he had all of the riches and wealth of Egypt at his fingertips. He would have been one of the most privileged men on the planet, okay? The education of the finest um, uh, universities, the, the wealth of being a son of Pharaoh's daughter, this incredible sense of privilege. Everything was there for him, the kind of things that our friends are running after all the time. I wish I was rich. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. Moses had it all. It's all there right in front of him. He can keep it. And it says he chose to reject that and to instead endure ill treatment with the people of God. Okay? So he chose to turn his back on all the wealth of Egypt instead for what? For wealth? No, to endure ill treatment with the people of God. To be looked down on as a slave. I'll I'll turn my back on that to be with these people. Now we can look at it and think, oh, that was very good. Well done, Moses. How, how very noble of you to do that. But the, the thing is, it doesn't finish there. He says he did this, and I'll actually read you exactly what it says. It says, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. 
the passing pleasures of sin. You look at what he had on offer before him, all the pleasures you can imagine. He would have had a harem of women if he wanted. He would have had everything that wealth can buy. He would have had everything you could ask for. And it's everything that our culture chases after, but it's described here as the passing pleasures of sin. Now, we've all experienced that to some extent or another, what it is to go out and taste of the passing pleasures of sin. There is pleasure in sin, all right? I'm sure you didn't perhaps need me to tell you that. Okay, we don't pretend there's no pleasure in sin. Of course there's pleasure in sin. That's why people sin. Okay, you don't go out and do all these kind of reckless, sinful things because they're really painful. You do them because there's pleasure there. The danger is it's passing pleasure and it's like the bait on the hook that the fish bites into and then before you know it, you think, ah, I didn't realize that getting into bed with that person was going to lead to this. I just saw the bait. I just saw how pretty she looked. I just saw and my desires and I saw everything that looked so nice like that tantalizing worm on the end of the hook, which is very tantalizing. And I just, you know, I saw all of the stuff that was so attractive and I take a bite and, ah, what's the, ah, oh, I didn't realize, oh, I didn't realize my heart was going to get torn to shreds. I didn't realize she was going to get pregnant. I didn't realize I was going to catch something. I didn't realize that my heart would feel so used afterwards. I didn't realize that I'd be so full of regret. I didn't realize it would lead to weeping, to tears, because the devil doesn't tell you that. He just says, look, it's nice and fun and alluring. And you go, ooh, okay. And then you're in real trouble, because it's passing pleasure. It's a pleasure that's gone in a moment. And then afterwards, you think, ah, I'm stuck now. I'll just click on this website. It just looks so alluring. It's so attractive. It's so enticing. And then you realize, you know what? I can't stop looking at these websites. The hook is in me. And now my life, instead of it being something that I think, oh, it's exciting, I feel increasingly ashamed. I feel increasingly kind of like stuck. I'll be honest with you, that has been my experience, okay? And I'm sure it's the experience of a lot of people in this room. I have had the experience of thinking pornography is something I'll never escape from. I thought I will never escape from pornography. I thought I'm trapped. It's, it's a snare that's got me. I can't get out of it. I will always end up looking at it. I can't beat it. That's what I, I just thought. I was totally persuaded. I thought I'll never escape. It will just always be. It will be my issue, I guess, for the rest of my life. I can tell you, thanks to God, I've been totally set free from it. I haven't looked at stuff like that for a long time. God's set me free from it. But the thing is, you, could get, you get trapped in it. And Moses could see sin, it traps you, it takes you away. You didn't expect where it was going to take you. But it's not just that. Moses doesn't just turn his back on Egypt because of the trap. And he doesn't just turn to the people of God because he should be nice. It says this, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ, the shame of being a Christian, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking to the reward. All right? Let me just, this is so crucial. Moses didn't turn his back on the wealth of Egypt and choose to follow God because he thought it was right. He realized that by doing something, he was finding greater pleasures, greater treasures than he would ever find away from God. He was at heart hunting for joy. He wasn't thinking, oh, I should be good because it's right to be good. Now, he was thinking, I want to give my life to something that's going to last forever, that I'm not going to feel ashamed of, that I can be happy in, confident in, totally excited about for the rest of my life into eternity. There's greater joy in discovering Jesus and his love than there is in sin. Believe me, I've tried. 
Okay? That's something of my own story. And I said I was going to allude a little bit to my own story. So I'm going to tell you some of it. I grew up, as you might guess by my surname, in a Christian home. So I'm a Virgo. And, you know, I was taught the Bible since I was this high. And, you know, and I, I went to church and I discovered lots of things that were great. And God really helped me. And I, I knew some of the pleasures and the joys of, of following Jesus. And then when I got into my teen years, when I was 14, I had to go to America. Uh, my, my parents took me and my younger brother, Tim, and my sister. And um, we went to live in America for two years. And my uh, brother, Joel, the um, bearded one, he, um, he, he went to South Africa for a year. My other brother, Ben, went to Hong Kong. For, we kind of went all over the world. Anyway, me and my younger brother, my sister, Anna, and my parents, we went to America for two years. I was 14 years old. And I thought, wow, I'm going to be a real hero. Check me out. We're just going to go to America for the gospel. Here we go, people. I thought it was going to be really exciting. I was kind of a bit it's like, it was really tough. And within a short time, I'd got into real trouble. I'd, I'd got into all kinds of trouble. I won't bore you with all the details. But basically, after a short while, I felt so disappointed and so, with so much pain. And I thought, man, I just miss England. I just want to see a double-decker bus. I want to see a red post box. I want to have a proper bacon sandwich made with real bread that doesn't fall apart when you touch it. That's what American bread does. Sorry, any American people. Okay, I just was like, I miss England. I want to be back home. And I got really embittered and really angry. And I got in with the wrong crowd. And I, I started to get into more and more trouble. And I started thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to do the things that look fun. Forget it. God has let me down. I'm going to go my own way. And so I did. I went and I started mucking about with smoking and drinking and all the kind of no- normal nonsense that people can get caught up in. I started getting into smoking pot and stuff like that. And by the time I came back two years later, we were only there for two years, came back 16 years old, and man, my friends, they couldn't recognize me. I'd grown my hair all long like Kurt Cobain from Nirvana, if any of you know Nirvana. They were a really good band. And I came back and I was doing my best to look like Kurt Cobain and look more like someone from Hanson, embarrassingly. But you don't know Hanson because you were very young. Hanson was like a girly pop band with boys with long hair that needed a good punch. Anyway. So um, I, I came back, and my friends were like, wow, what's happened to Simon? Even my non-Christian friends were like, whoa. I remember one of them said, man, you've changed, not for the better. And it was like, I was really weird, yeah? And I, by then, I was getting more and more angry and just listening to lots of very heavy music and really kind of like, screw everyone else and just sort of like very rebellious and surly and miserable. And, um, and I started getting into more and more trouble, really. I started getting into worse drugs. And over the course of the next few years my life really started to fall apart. I used to play rugby before and be quite proud of my kind of athleticism and what have you. Man, by the end of this five years, I was this skinny, washed up, kind of drug-fueled freak. I just was totally messed up. And I'll tell you about one morning that helps to kind of summarize where I was at. I stayed at my friend's house, drank myself into a stupor. I woke up in the morning and I was all soaking wet around this area. And I thought, oh dear, there's been some kind of accident. And then I realized someone had taken a banana and shoved it down my trousers while I was asleep. I woke up with a sticky banana. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm getting this, literally a banana. I'm pulling a banana out of my trousers. You think, this is really disgusting. And I wake up in this thing, and I look around the room, and this is at my friend's flat. And this room is disgusting. Everything's like a mess. We just got high in this room together. We were all like total idiots. And... And it's just, you know, everything's like, you know, when it's like takeaway, knocked over everywhere, empty beer cans, half empty beer cans spilt everywhere, you know, cigarette butts everywhere. That's just, just this hole. It was this filthy hole. And I woke up that morning and I just thought, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? See, when I took my first 
cigarette or whatever and smoked my first joint and started doing these things. It looked kind of fun. I didn't really think, what I'd really love is if in five years I could wake up having basically wet myself with a banana in my pants and like be waking up in this filthy hellhole thinking, yay, life's really good. It didn't really work, yeah? And I, I woke up and I thought, man, something is wrong with my life. Now, what I didn't know is that that week my mum had been praying and fasting for me. She fasted for basically about five days and she just prayed and fasted. She was supposed to go back to America with my dad for a week doing churchy stuff. And she said to my dad, I'm not, I feel like I'm not supposed to go. I feel like God wants me to stay and pray for Simon. So she took the whole week to pray for me. And she went into my bedroom and she prayed. And I got all these posters of all these bands on my walls. And she's like, you're coming down. You're coming down. <laughs> she's like, all-scale warfare. She said at the beginning of the week, she got out all the promises she felt God had ever given her about my life. And she wrote them all down on paper, put them out on her bed. She was like, she's polishing her weapons, getting them ready. And she, she fought for me that week in prayer. She fought and she fasted, and she prayed. And I didn't know she was doing that, but one of the things she prayed for me was that I would start to feel guilty for my sin. And the weird thing happened, I was at work, I was at the time working Brighton, Brighton Council in the housing benefits office, just filing and stuff. And I went outside to have a cigarette, and I suddenly just felt really guilty. And by that time, I didn't feel guilt very often, I just kind of lived with guilt, and my conscience, I'd so kind of kicked it out of the way for so long, I got used to just feeling numb. And suddenly I started to feel like, man, I'm sinful. I really started to feel the guilt of what I'd done wrong. And a song from church came into my mind. Some of you might know it says, Purify My Heart. And I just thought, okay, God, if you're there and you can make me clean, I'm disgusting. Yeah, by all means, please purify my heart. I said that and I thought, well, that was weird. I left it at that and kind of went back on, carried on with normal life. Anyway, on the Thursday night, I went out with a few friends in a club in Brighton. It was a very fashionable club and very fashionable drugs going around and everything was all kind of right where I'm supposed to be, where the world says, this is where all the fun is. And, and I felt kind of peaceful, partly because I'd kind of got all high. And I looked down on this dance floor and it felt like, I think I was literally the only person in the club not on the dance floor. Everyone's down there, boom, boom, boom. The cloud of smoke over on the lights and the noise. And I'm looking down and I just thought, that's not life. It looks like life. But tomorrow, we're all back to work. We're all coming down off our drugs. This is not life. And I just, just saw it. And then I felt, like, I felt like God said to me, you know how you could be peaceful all the time? This is what went through my mind. There's peace. I could be peaceful all the time if I just stopped running away from God. If I just stopped running away. And for the first time in five years, I thought, I could, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could go back to God. And so that night, me and my friend left the club a little early because uh, his girlfriend went off and snogged some other bloke and it was all like oh this is terrible and we walked we're walking home and as we're walking home i'm saying to my friend look i've been thinking about god and what if god actually loves us what if he's not out there to spoil our fun and my friend who i don't think is a christian said to me oh yeah no there's a god and he sent his son to die for us i was like i've heard this before (laughs) this is familiar territory and anyway i got home and my mom as i said she's been praying for me all week long and she uh she said she anointed my pillow with oil she said she didn't know if you're supposed to do that or not but she thought Whatever, let's give it a try. You know? <laughs> and she anointed my, my doorpost with oil. And she's praying. She said, God, bless him as he comes in and out of this room. Bless him as he sleeps on this bed. Bless him as he's in his going out and his coming in. And she's just praying and praying and praying. Anyway, I go to bed that night. And as I put the sacred pillow under my arms, I, I just got this thing go through my mind. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. And I thought, all right. What can I lose? I'll read a Bible. And I got my Bible out and lay it down. And I just got the, <laughs> the magic pillow was not really important. But I'm just lying there and I'm reading. And as I start reading, I think, well, that's true. Oh, well, that's true as well. That, this is all true. 
And as I'm reading it, as I got open my eyes, I thought, this is all real. Everything I've been hunting for in the world, everything that I've been searching for, it's all here. It's all available in Jesus if I just trust him. I thought, this is incredible. And by the end of the night, I knelt down by the side of my bed and just said, God, you win. Okay, I, I don't know, I'm no good. You win. I, I, if you want my life, you can have it. And I got up the next morning. I mean, I was probably about three or four, maybe five in the morning by the time I went to sleep. I got up a couple of hours later, all kind of crazy-haired and wild-eyed, and went down to mum. I was like, mum, I was reading a Bible. I think God might be real. She's like, yeah, he is, son. Well done. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I went off to work that day, and um, I went to the housing benefits office where I worked in Brighton Council, and I was buzzing. I just thought, wow, I've discovered the truth. And that was enough for me. I, I wanted to know what was true. I was reading philosophy and all sorts of things, thinking, what's true? And I found it. It's like, oh my goodness, this is true. And I thought, that's good enough. And then I'm at work, and then I start thinking, oh, I could sing songs to God if I want to now. And there's a song that we used to sing. It says, oh, I love you, Lord, really love you, Lord. I'll never understand why you love me. You're my deepest joy. You're my heart's delight. And the greatest thing of all, oh, Lord, I see is that you delight in me. And I sang, as I was just walking around filing, I was singing that song under my breath. And it gets to that bit, the greatest thing of all that I can see is that you delight in me. Suddenly I realized, hang on a minute, he loves me. He, had, he, lo- he loves me. I, was like, I thought it was just good that it was true. And I'm signing up with what's true, that's fine. But then you discover he loves an idiot like me. He loves me. And I, in the middle of the office, burst into tears, got these files, quickly covered my face and ran off to the toilet and locked the door and bawled my eyes out thinking, I can't believe he loves me. That was amazing. And everything turned around. Now, I say everything. I kept on smoking for quite a while. I kept on smoking weed even for a while. I thought, oh, it's right. God made it. You know, it's cool, man. And then after a while, God was like, "Uh, yeah, I made it, but not for you to do that with, you idiot. And I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. And I stopped. Okay, but God helped me step by step. Now, the amazing thing, you won't quite believe it, but within a short space of time, I had already got myself into almost as much mess as before. I got into a immoral relationship with a girl. I got into a real mess. And I thought, maybe now, maybe I really have lost it. Maybe that was my big second chance. My life turned around. Everyone knew everything changed. I'm back at church. Everyone's like, man, we've given up hope on you. You're like a freak and you're back. And everyone was like, oh my goodness, it's amazing. And I had this massive turnaround. And within a short space of time, I'm waking up in her flat and coming to church on Sunday morning, thinking this is all wrong, all wrong. And I remember one day, I'm in my bedroom, and I just started to get scared. I thought, what if I've really blown it this time? What if it's all over? What if really I've pushed him beyond the limits of what he's willing to bear with me about? What if he won't forgive me this time? And I just knelt down and said, God, please tell me you haven't rejected me. Please tell me it's not all over. Tell me you haven't rejected me. Please, God. I was scared. Now, I came home a day or two later, and I find on my bed a piece of paper. It said, Isaiah 41, 9 and 10. Turns out that this person in my church, I never found out who it was, gave it to my brother-in-law, said, please, can you give that to Simon? I think God wants him to know it. So I looked up Isaiah 41, 9 and 10, and this is what it says. It says, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I'm literally saying, God, please tell me you haven't rejected me. I get home, piece of paper, open it up. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. That's really exciting, yeah? 
Just going along to church, not having any real faith in Jesus and trying to keep your nose clean is boring. Knowing Jesus is wonderful. It's amazing. I called to him and he answered me. And this is just one of the examples. I mean, man, there's been so many incredible things when he's just shown up and helped me out. So here about another time, we were in, I was in Brighton in the church where I grew up and we did this thing where we thought, we're raising some money. If you're at CCK, you know about gift days. And I'm sure most of your churches, you have gift days. And we were raising money for something. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give some money to this thing. And I'm going to give, like, big money. You know, like a whole 10 pounds or, you know, <laughs> more than that. I thought, okay, I'm going to really step out in faith here. And so, so I did. And I remember there's a verse in the Bible in Malachi 3, verse 10. It's the Old Testament kind of promise that God makes to the people of God. And he says, test me in this and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven. Now, should we test God normally or not? Should we test God? No, well done, brilliant. Yeah, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Very clear, most of the time. One thing where God says, test me in this, in tithes and offerings. He says, give, and I'll give back to you. So I thought, all right, I'll do it. And I tested God. I very deliberately, I prayed about it. I didn't do it in a kind of, go on then, you do it then. Let's see if you keep your end of the... I didn't do it like that. I very reverently and honestly just said, okay, God, with genuine reverence, I'm testing you. You say I can test you here, so I'm testing you here. This gift is a, is, is a test. I'm testing you. I meant it very sincerely, very honestly, not flippantly or arrogantly. And so I gave, it, I gave him the money. I thought, okay, here we go. A few days later, I come home, and uh, I'm in my room, and my mum comes into my room all teary-eyed, all crying. She gives me this envelope. And I, and, I open, and I see the envelope, but on the, on the front of the envelope is my name printed uh, from a computer sticker printed on the front of it. And I open up the envelope, and in the envelope is a card. Now, bear in mind, I hadn't told a single soul that I was doing this experiment with God. Nobody knew. Me and God knew. That was it. I open up this card, and in the card is the same amount of money that I had given and stuck on from a computer printed out, stuck on in the thingy, it says... In quotes, in speech marks, dot, 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 and C, dot, dot, dot. Malachi 3, verse 10. Okay, Malachi 3, verse 10 says, test me in this and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven. Okay, I'll test you in this. Card and C. I was like, you passed. You passed the test. You you are good. All right? I was absolutely amazed. The reason my mum was in tears is because she basically, that day, she does Bible teaching and stuff, and she'd been at this ladies' day, and she came home and she opened up her Bible and there's two envelopes in the Bible, one addressed to me and one addressed to my younger brother, Tim. And um, Tim's at the back, let's all give him a wave. Whee! We love you, Tim. Um, and, uh, and she said some lady at the ladies' day must have just snuck it in her Bible at some point and she didn't know who. And so she gives Tim his one and she gives me my one. And when Tim opens his one, he opens it up and do the big brother thing, make fun of my little brother. He started to cry. <laughs> anyway, he, um, he opens up his card, bursts into tears because it's got some money in it. And a verse that says from Philippians, my God shall supply all your needs. And the reason he burst into tears was because the night before he was saying, God, I really desperately really do need some money. It wasn't so I can buy a PlayStation game. It was like he really needed some money. So it's please, God, please come through for me. She comes and gives him and he's like, God heard me. And he's in tears. So my mum burst into tears. So she gives me the card and I open it and I didn't cry because I'm a man. Not really. I cry all the time. Uh, uh, never mind. Shut up. All right, um, so uh, it was, it's just amazing, yeah? Things like that, I'll never forget. I've told so many people that story. I was a teacher in the East End of London, a school called Sir John Cass in Stepney Green. Fantastic school. Absolutely love those kids. Amazing kids. And I got to tell them that story. They're like, so why do you believe in prayer? I was like, because God answers prayer. Let me tell you a story. 
I told him another story, which I will tell you. I was, um, I was once doing a fast, and you know what fasting is when you don't eat, yeah? And I thought, okay, I really need God's help about um, this thing. I can't remember what it was now, but at the time it was very important. And I fast, I tried to fast for three days, yeah? I thought, right, I'm going to go hardcore, yeah? Three days, no food. And I, I made it through the first day. I'm like, okay, let's go. Second day, and I'm halfway through the second day, and I'm like, I'm so hungry. And I went and spoke to my cousin. I was like, oh, so hungry. And she really helpfully said, why don't you eat something then? I was like, hey, that's a good idea. <laughs> and I caved in, and I was like, all right, I'm going to eat. I'm stuffing my face. Oh, I'm so miserable. And I felt so ashamed. I was like, oh, I can't believe it. I gave in. I failed. Anyway, I'm at church the next day on Sunday, and I'm thinking, I couldn't worship because I felt so guilty and so bad. I was like, I broke my fast early. I'm such a loser. I can't believe it. How can you even let me in? You know, it was like really shameful. And then I was really praying, saying, God, please tell me that you heard me. Because what I was praying about was really important. And even though I gave in on the second day, please tell me you heard me. I was kind of thinking God was like, no, I didn't hear any of it because you didn't get the whole three days, you idiot. Bang, you know. I'm just thinking, God, please tell me you heard me. Anyway, at the end of the no one knows this. I'm just saying this on my own before God. God, please tell me you heard me. Please tell me you heard me. And then this guy comes up to me at the end of the meeting. He says, Simon, he's a guy called John Spence in the church in CCK, absolute legend. He came up to me and said, Simon, I don't know why, but I think God wants this. I got this verse for you. So um, he reads me this verse from Daniel chapter 10. And it says this. Do not be afraid. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. That's just awesome. I'm saying, please tell me you heard me. Guy comes up to me. He says, God says, from the first day, your words were heard. Now, he didn't know. He didn't know. No one else knew. I hadn't told anyone. But God told him, and he told me, God says your words were heard. Now, there's been so many times when I've been praying, and I remind myself of that, because God told me. He's, my, he's hearing me. He's hearing my words. Okay, so it's just amazing to see. And what we're going to look at for the rest of the week is examples of how people proved God like that. How people trusted him. Now, all of us, to some extent, can point to one or two things. You say, those, those are things that help me believe. And it's helpful for you to bear in mind, what are those things that help us to believe when life is very difficult? Okay? So, for me, going back to some of those stories helps me a lot. It helps me to remember. Now, the thing that I need help, have needed help in the most, a lot of the time, has just been to genuinely be confident that it's all true. It's to just be certain about it. It's to actually feel steadfast and secure. Now, do any of you relate to that? Do you ever, ever you kind of struggle with doubt and worry and unbelief and uncertainty sometimes? Yeah? Anyone else? Just me? Quite a few people. Yeah. Let me just read to you from Hebrews 11. It says this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, I used to read a verse like that and it would annoy me because I'd think, yeah, but that's exactly what I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not certain. Apparently, faith is being sure, being certain. And I don't feel sure or certain. I feel very unsure and uncertain. And I'd read a verse like that and think, that's my problem. I'm not sure. I'm not certain. Now, I just want to tell you, basically, that over the course of these last years, 
There's been so many times when I've looked to God in prayer and he's answered my prayer and so many times when I'm just reading the Bible and he speaks to me that over the course of time, I've come to a point where I could tell you, I'm sure, I'm certain. And I, I, I don't say this boastfully and I trust that it would be down to God's grace, but I believe I'd die for this now. It's totally true. I'm giving my whole life to this now without any question. God could do whatever he wants to do with me. Oh, he might hold me to that. But honestly, it's like you can taste what the world has to offer. Psalm 40, last story I'll tell you. It's not my story. It's David's story. He said this, I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand, put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in God. David said, I was in a slimy pit. Now, I don't think he's being literal. I don't think he meant I was actually in a really slimy pit one day and God got me out. I think he's basically saying, I was in a situation where I couldn't get out. I'm stuck. And every time I try and get out, I slip. And it's like, I'm stuck here. And that's exactly what sin is like. You get stuck in sin. You get stuck in lust. You get stuck in pornography. You get stuck in overeating. You get stuck in envy and jealousy. You just do it and you think, oh, I don't even want to do it. Why did I do it again? You get stuck in having a bad temper, using foul language. You get stuck in drugs and drink. You get stuck in fleshly ambition. You can get stuck in getting straight A's at school that will take you to your glorious career. You can get stuck in that. Plenty of people are. Loads of people are. Stuck in ambition. Stuck in selfishness. Stuck in it's all about me. And that's what it's like. You just think, one day I'll get out of this. One day I'll put a stop to this, but it's never going to be today because I just don't know how. Because you can't just get out on your own. And he says, I'm in a slimy pit. And he says, I waited patiently for the Lord, but he doesn't say I waited silently because it says the Lord heard my cry. Now, some of you have been waiting patiently for God to show up in your life, but you're not crying out to him. Okay, it says I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. He heard my cry. We're not just supposed to sit there and go, any minute now God will rescue me from lust. Any minute now, he'll break in and set me free. No, it says he waited. He heard my cry. Do you cry out to God about your situation? Do you tell him, God, this is a mess. I did it again. I feel so ashamed. I, spoke, I shouldn't have spoke that way. Help me. You cry to him. Okay, it says he turns to me, heard my cry. That's good. There's a God who turns, looks at you, hears your cry, and lifts you out of the slimy pit. He lifted me out of pornography. I didn't just do it myself. He lifted me out of it. I'm not in that pit anymore, praise God. And I tell you what, it's so wonderful, wonderful to be free of it. Oh, it's beautiful to, be, to know my heart isn't full of that stuff. Because he lifted me out of it. But it took crying to him about it. I've got to say, God, get me out of this thing. Help me out. And if you need to, you jolly well shout to him about it. I'll, I'll do that. I'll go and drive in the car so that everyone else can't hear me. And I'm like, God, help with whatever. You know, try and get in a place where you're not going to scare anyone or whatever. <laughs> but just get honest with God. Get real with him. I'm falling over this sin again and again. Help me, God. And he will. And it says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit. And that is what sin is like. It's always slimy. It's always horrible. You get stuck in it. He lifted me out of it and he set my feet on a rock. Gave me a firm place to stand. That's, that's the opposite of the slimy pit. A firm place to stand. And he put a new song in my mouth. It's not just a cry of help. It's a song of hallelujah. 
He, he puts joy in you, changes your whole life. And then it says, many will see what's happened and fear and put their trust in God. Many will see what's happened. Hang on a minute, he was in a slimy pit. Now he's on a rock. And now he's singing. I mean, the guy's in a total mess, and now he's on a rock singing. And many see and go, oh, fear, and put their trust in God. Now, if there's one thing I could say that summarizes this whole seminar track for us this week, it's this. Stories of faith inspire faith. And when you're back at school, and it's like this, and it's tough, stories of faith will inspire your faith. So that's why I'm going to be recommending a few books, and we're going to be talking about a few people. So stories of faith that inspire faith. Here's a brilliant one. Many of you will be familiar with this. It's in the bookshop. There's loads of copies of it. The Life You Never Expected by Andrew and Rachel Wilson. Now, this is a, a book primarily about how they've raised their children who are both, uh, at this point, they have three children now. They have two at this point, both with severe autism, special needs. And man, that's tough. And they just say about how they've come through it. And the story of their faith has inspired my faith and my wife's faith. It's inspired. Anyone else who's read it in this room would say the same. It's reading about people who think, man, this is tough. How am I going to endure? Well, stories of faith inspire faith. Okay? Here's another book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by a guy called Jim Simbola. He built a church in New York. Uh, when he started out, he had about 20 people. The guy who took the offering was nicking from the offering basket every week. Everything wasn't very good. Okay? And it was like he was preaching one day, and there's these people sitting on a pew, and the pew breaks, and they all fall into the middle of the pew. Like, this church sucks. Yeah? <laughs> God help. And he said he brought them all forward one day when he got really desperate. And, it was like, and they just cried to God, God, come. Come and help us out. And God started to come. And he said, from that point on, they started having prayer meetings every Tuesday night where they would call to God, God, come and bless us. There's 10,000 of them in New York now. That was about 20 years ago that they started. Man, God shows up when you call to him, okay? And you just do it. Don't you worry. The devil will come and say, oh, but you can't because you're rubbish. Man, we're all rubbish, <laughs> right? Jesus loves us, all right? Jesus, this, this classic old thing. A guy said, the devil came to me. It's an old Puritan, like written hundreds of years ago. This Puritan said, the devil came to me and said, ha, you're a sinner. And I said, yes, and Christ died for sinners. And thus I smote the devil with his own sword. Oh, that's pretty good, yeah? You're a sinner. Yeah, Jesus died for sinners. Off my back. All right, that's all you need. He gives us righteousness. You come to him and say, help me out. I'm not doing very well, Lord. Help me. And he does. Oh, he's so good. I tell you what, I've, honestly, I've tasted a lot of the things that you will be tempted to, and we'll all be tempted to taste. There's nothing there. Just poison. Yeah, you get a little head rush a moment. Ooh, oh, now I feel sick. Okay, that's what it's like. Have you ever noticed the hangover? That's a bit of a kind of clue. Yeah, drunk. Yeah, oh, what did I do? That is the story of sin. It's great. Oh, it sucks. Just don't get tricked by it. The opposite is true with following God. Sometimes it's tough. You go through the pressure first, and then the rewards come. And you think, I'm so glad I did it. No one after the hangover says, oh, I'm so glad I did it. It was brilliant. I'm really glad I've lost all my teeth. You know, no one, thinks, no one thinks that. You can glory in it and you can kind of say, well, wasn't it fun? Wasn't it crazy? Yeah, but how many people got hurt? Did it do you any good? Would you wish your own children to do it if one day you had kids? When you love someone, do you really want to watch them flush their life down that toilet? Yeah, so you can taste these things. Ultimately, they won't take you anywhere. Trusting a God who will never, ever lie to you, I'm... I'm Honestly, I'm doing my best to help you towards what's going to make you happiest and most joyful and confident and strong and fearless and unashamed, not only for this life but the next. This is where joy is found. Oh, man, it gets dressed up in such bad clothes so often. People think being a Christian, oh, it's just boring, miserable. 
oh, what are they talking? They haven't met Jesus. Or if they have, they've strayed a long way away from him. Knowing him. Oh, knowing him. He's faithful. That's why every day I spend time with him to talk to him, listen to him in his word. He's wonderful. I wish I could describe how good he's been to me. He's fabulous. Man, he's patient with us. So don't be discouraged. Don't be dissuaded from trusting in him. And just to finish off with, as I said, stories of faith inspire faith. And I've been encouraged by plenty of stories, stories like Jim Cimbala's story, stories like Andrew and Rachel Wilson, stories like George Mueller, who uh, Stu and Livy will be talking to us about, stories like Smith Wigglesworth that Phil Wilty will be telling us about, stories like just watching Steph Liston's life, what a blessing he is. He's going to tell us about how his church has gone. Stories like my dad. Man, I love him and I respect him. He's got so much that I could, I've been able to learn from him and we'll get to hear from him uh, on Friday. And, uh, you know, these stories, they inspire faith. But the story that will inspire faith forever, the greatest story, is obviously the big one. The story of Jesus himself. And let me read to you. It says here in the book of Hebrews, so he said, remember I said he's been trying to encourage them to endure, keep going. So he tells them about Moses. This is what Moses did. He tells them about Abraham, what Abraham did. Tell them about Rahab, prostitute, in Joshua chapter 2. Amazing story. What she did, she trusted God. He tells you all these different stories. Remember what they did. And you think, yeah, I want to be like them. But it doesn't finish there. He says this. Since we've been surrounded by all these amazing people, let us lay aside every encumbrance, every distraction, and the sin that so easily entangles us, that slimy, sticky sin that you get stuck in. Let's get rid of it. And let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You will at points grow weary. You will at points feel like you're losing heart. The cure, we consider him. We look at him. We look at Jesus, who didn't only give up Pharaoh's palace to endure ill treatment with the people of God. He gave up the palace of heaven itself to come down and be the most hated man, spat upon, beard ripped out of his face, whipped and beaten till he was nearly dead and then crucified on a cross. He endured the cross. Right? We need to endure getting through next year to next new day. <laughs> okay? We need to endure our long race. We need to endure getting through to when we're my dad's age. And we're still going and loving Jesus. We need to endure. It's a long race with a lot of endurance required. But we look to him who endured the cross. We all not have to endure the cross. Even if we, any of us were crucified, I don't think probably likely. But even if any of us were, we wouldn't endure the same cross that Jesus did where the wrath of God against all our sin was spent upon him. All of the shame and the hostility, even of God's perfect, righteous anger with our sin, was spent on Jesus at the cross so that we can be set free. And he endured the cross. It says, looking for the joy that was set before him. Again, Jesus didn't just do this because he's good and he's supposed to. He didn't just do it because, well, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, okay, God, I'll do it, Father, yeah. It says, for the joy that was set before him. You are that joy. You are the joy that was set before him. We are. He died for us 
to rescue us and make us his own. And he endured the cross for that joy. And one day we'll be the other side of the grave, tasting joy forever and ever, uninterrupted by sin. No shame, no worry, no fear, no pain. We'll be with him. And he'll fill our hearts forever with his gladness. If he was satisfied in himself, if the Father and the Son are endlessly delighted in one another, he is more than enough to fill your heart with wonder into eternity. And that's what he'll do. We will have such an awesome time. Never sin ever again. No shame. No pain. Oh, it's good. It's really, really good. All right? I'm going to pray for you and we're going to be done. There's a prayer in the book of Romans I just found this morning. And... uh, Sorry, I'm a mess up here. It says this. May the God who gives endurance. Okay, we need to endure. Jesus endured. God gives endurance. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm just going to read that again over you as a prayer, okay? May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.